So it's my privilege and uh, blessing to introduce uh, Matt Kinneman, except I don't see him anywhere. Oh, there he is. He's got the same haircut uh, as me, and so uh, we're, we're like brothers. We are like brothers. And we've, we've got to spend a lot of time together over the last, uh, you know, uh, five, six months. And, and uh, so, but we were talking on the phone. I said, Matt, why don't you teach on Sunday? You know, you've had a lot of events going on. And he said, he said, well, I don't think so. But I said, well, pray about it. And he said, okay, I will. And then I got a text a few days later. Okay, I'll do it. So he's going to share with us today from 2 Timothy. Let's welcome That's all true. I, um, <laughs> I actually said, when Rich asked me that, I, in here I said, no way. And, and it just felt like there was way too much going on with, with getting, getting ready for yesterday's service. So I said to Rich, because I didn't know much about what was going on here, but I, I, I knew the festival had happened and the concert had happened, and that Rich was very invested in and what was going to um, happen yesterday. So I thought, well, I'll try this. Hey, Rich, you probably could use a little break. And I expect him to say, no, no, you know what? No, no problem. I'm, I'm good to go. But he didn't push back one bit. So <laughs> I thought, oh, man, I guess that's that. So, no, I, I don't uh, mean to say anything that would, that would say uh, I, I don't uh, feel very uh, appreciative to get to share. Like, it's... It's, it's strange, maybe, because Lauren and I live far away, but we've never, we've never attended this church, your church, regularly. But it feels, it feels like, if, if we can say this, it does feel like a, a kind of our church because there's such strong connections with our family here. I mean, we do have it. We do go to a church. <laughs> um, it's not like we, you know. But, but it feels like our, our church, in a way, when we, when we come here because, because there's, the connections are so strong. And... And 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 you're all, you're all loving, and 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 you show the fruits of the spirit, and so it's it's great to get together. Um, when a spont- spontaneous sharing time like that happens in a service, as just happened for Paula, I've been attending church all my life, and when that would happen, I. I would sometimes think, this is cool, this is cool, keep going, because we won't have to have a sermon. Like, who, need, who needs a sermon? <laughs> so, yeah, I understand if you're feeling that way. A couple of, three questions. Three questions. And just let your imagination go with this. What, what does it feel like to be confident? Yeah. Feels great. What, is it, what does it feel like to have a clear conscience? Some, some wise person sometimes said, it's worth, more than, it's worth more than wealth to have a clear conscience. Clear conscience. What does it feel like to, to be ashamed? It's a big difference, right? It's... It's maybe the greatest difference, maybe the greatest gulf in feelings between being ashamed and having a clear conscience. So when, when, we're, when we're ashamed, it's usually, or it's often because we've done something we wish in retrospect we hadn't done. 
And we're ashamed of it. We're ashamed of ourselves. And there's a, there's, that's not the only way to feel ashamed. Sometimes it's different than that. Sometimes we can be ashamed. You might be able to call to mind a personal example of this. I will pass the mic around. And, no, no. You might be able to call a personal example of this to mind, though. It's, it's, it's a kind of being ashamed when we're, we're not ashamed of ourselves, but we're ashamed of something that we feel reflects poorly on us and hurts our pride, and we feel ashamed. And you might be able to think of a time that's happened to you. And I remember a time that happened to me as a, as a kid, actually. It, I was in middle school, and it, it, it hit me out of the blue. I had been hanging out with a friend at his house, and his mom drove us back to my house to drop me off. And he, 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 he lived in a pretty nice neighborhood, at least nice, at least nice compared to our neighborhood. See, this is a way I had never thought before. It just hit me out of the blue. And she pulled up to the curb to drop me off, and I suddenly felt ashamed of where I lived. And it surprised me because I just had never, never experienced. Now, that's a different kind of being ashamed. Being ashamed of something out there that reflects on me that then I feel sh makes me shrink. And you may have done that at some point in your life. It would have been different at that moment when she pulled up to the curb and said, which house, let's say, I don't remember the conversation, but she said, which house is yours? And I said, that one. And you, it's, I had a great time at your house, friends, mom. I really did. Thanks for the ride. I am so glad to be back here. This is the greatest place to live. I have so much fun here. And you know what? I'd like to talk, but I've got to run because there's always a ball game going on in the park across the street. See you later. Thank you. I'm so glad to be home. Very different response, right? And it would have been totally legit. I didn't need to be ashamed. There are times we ought to be ashamed. There's another, there's another strange dimension of being ashamed. It's when we ought to be ashamed and we're not. Like when, when a mother might say, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. And we really, we really aren't. You know, that's, a, that's, that's another thing altogether. But think about when we're ashamed when we don't need to be ashamed. Because that's, that's a time when we, 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 we really want to be free of that. Yeah. It happened to me. I've, I've recognized in my life this, this happens. Maybe it's, I don't think it's just my weakness. I, I think it's, a, it's probably a shared weakness among people. I, was, I, had, I, had, I had had the idea to run for office. I ran for office. I got beaten really badly. And, 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 but in the campaign itself... The people who I was working with and who helped support the campaign, it was great. It, you know, it doesn't, I don't care what you run for and what the odds against you are. In that circle, you feel like you're going to win. And, and we, had, we had it. We had a great vibe. We had, a, we had great energy. And then it ended, got clobbered, and that was that. And, and I needed to go on and do something else. And actually, I had to make some money. So I got... I, I, got, I started this job called title searching. Anybody know what title? You might know what title searching is. I had no clue what it, what it was. My, my brother Danny said, when you lose this campaign, you might want to think. No, he didn't, he didn't say that. <laughs> <laughs> he said, after this is over, 
when you figure out, I mean, depending on what you need to do, my friend Mike runs this business. It works really well. They, they, actually, they actually make they make pretty good money doing this. And so when the campaign ended, I remembered that a few days later, I went to see Mike. He got me going on doing title searching, where you go into the courthouse or the, or the, or the, or the, or the town hall, and you look up a deed, and you write it down, and you report it to the, to the title company, and you get paid. Simple, I started doing it, but it was kind of a grind, you know? I'd fill out a thing, I'd go in, fill out the forms, I get paid 25 bucks later when I send it all in. Mike's company gets paid, I get paid. So you do that all day at 25 bucks a pop. So I'm, I'm doing a title search in the courthouse in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, and a guy who's a very successful real estate guy, who had been a supporter, I mean, he's smarter than this, he had been a supporter of our campaign. And, <laughs> and so, no, we'd, be, we'd become friends, and I knew he was a very successful guy and very friendly, and I ran into him in the courthouse in Pittsfield. And instead of being, instead of being enthused to see him, I felt a little ashamed of what I was doing. Because we had run, we, it, it was just a discrepancy in the two ways I, I, where I had known him, and now the, and I did the same thing. I kind of shrunk down, and he said, "Wait, well, hey, Mal, how's it going? What are you doing?" I said, "Oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a few title searches, and uh, you know, it's, I'm learning how to do it. It's a Hamlin Hall and stuff like that." I was way off. I mean, it was a great business, and I was learning a lot. I could have said, "Bob, it's the craziest thing. I didn't even know what this was." But I'm doing this title search business. I had no clue it existed. I'm, not only have I learned it, um, I've got a contractor doing searches with me, and I'm building up this little company. And I don't know where it's going to go, but it's really working. It's really working. I, I'm kind of glad it went this way. because Now, that would have been a great way to respond, because it was all true. You know what I'm, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Malia Freitas is going to come up and read scripture for us. So, Malia, I know you didn't have much time to be ready for this. I guess one of these microphones. This one, Malia. So, Malia is going to read 2 Timothy chapter 1. It's not a long chapter. It'll take about a minute. She's going to read the entire chapter. And as, as Malia reads, listen for... There's a lot happening in this, in this one chapter. It's Paul writing to Timothy and... As Milia reads, listen for some words, but also listen for some ideas, for some themes. Listen for legacy. Listen for pictures and, and descriptions of legacy. Sincere faith. Being ashamed. Not being ashamed. Be, be tuned into that. Um, good. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve, as my forefathers did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and, I am persuaded, now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. 
So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Malia. On the spot, she jumped up there on the, on the, in the moment. Thank you. There was a lot, there's a lot going on in there, isn't there? Were you able to listen for some of those, for the words and the themes and the ideas? You caught them? Because what ha something that's happening in this, first be in this beginning of 2 Timothy is there, there are multiple themes and important truths woven through this chapter, and they appear and reappear at different times, and they also reinforce each other. As, 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 as I was spent really going deeper into this chapter than I probably ever have this past week, I kept, I kept not tripping, but I, but I kept saying, wow, that connects back to that. Kind of almost tripping on it, because there's a lot going on. There's a thought, there's an idea, there's a truth, and they're woven. I think you're going to see well, how, how, this, how this works. The great takeaway from the whole situation that Paul's describing and speaking to is that if we're willing to be lifted out of being ashamed, we get and live in ways and places that are what we really need and want. When I asked you what it felt like to be confident, the answer was, great, it feels great. And have a clear conscience, worth more than anything. Confidence. If you know who that is, yell it out. Say it again, I think I heard it. Who said that? You know anything about him? Well, you do. You do. What do you know about him? What do you know about Kipchoge? We ran a sub two hour. Does anybody really know what that means? No. Well, have you ever run a mile? No. Well, if you have run a mile, did it, did it take you? Could, could, could you do it in eight minutes? <laughs> Funny, right? Have you heard of people running a mile in eight minutes or seven minutes? One mile. One mile. You watch the Olympics, right? Well, how fast did you run a mile? Way to go. Way to go. That's good. That's fast. 
Kipchoge, greatest marathon runner in history, when he ran that sub-two-hour marathon, 159.45, he ran a four-minute and 34-second pace for 26.2 miles. And, and he, he had some help. He had pacers. He had a perfectly flat track. It was a controlled environment. You know, somebody says something like that. It's like, be quiet. He ran a 434 for 26 miles. And, and when he hasn't had pacers in perfect weather, he's run a string of sub-205s. He's run a 201, a 202, a 203. These are all 440, 445, four, these are... That's the kind of paces he's running. He's confident. He, uh, this is a, a, something that he, he said that, uh, I think he said it. Yes, he did. In all of the acclaim and uh, popularity, and I mean, he's, he's, an amazing, he's an amazing human. Nobody in history has done what he's done. But I heard him say this. I mean, I heard him say it on a, on, a, on, a, on a video. So I believe in a calm, simple, low-profile life. You live simple, you train hard, and live an honest life, then you are free. And it, it made me get a picture of not only confidence, but a clear conscience. The world champion, best ever, best in history, and he was actually sitting in a small, his, like a small dwelling in Africa, having what would you, we would all call a simple meal, in saying this. And I thought, it's not a bad credo for the Christian. Live a calm, simple, low-profile life. Live simple, train hard. Paul talks about training. The body will change of some value. But godly training has benefit in all things. And you live an honest life. Then you are, you're free. You're free. You're free. That's what confidence looks like. Confidence looks like that. But that confidence is... Is, is more confident when it's based on that. It leads to a clear conscience, that type of confidence. If it's based in the teachings of, that we're reading today, what does a clear conscience look like? Some of, some of us know who these sisters are. They, they hid Jews from the Nazis in World War II. Of course, if they got caught, no big deal, right? They, if they got caught, it was the end of the deal. Anybody remember him? Alexander Solzhenitsyn. So during, this, during the time of the Soviet Union, he, he, he was imprisoned as a dissident in what was called the Gulag, Soviet prison for dissenters, Christians, enemies of the state, as they would be called. And he wrote... And he just wrote, and he wrote, and he wrote. Never stopped writing. God gave him a, a great gift of perception and communication. And he wrote so much that, and his words were able to get out to the West, that they had to, they had to send him out of the country because the rest of the world was now paying attention. But he didn't know that would happen. He could have just as easily been tortured to death. He ended up, uh, he ended up actually coming to New England to, to, in, late in his life, but when he was in exile. 
And when he had the chance, he went back to Russia and died there. That's Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He had a clear conscience. And it goes on. We could think of Maximilian Kolbe, who gave his life in place of someone who was about to be executed in a concentration camp. Or Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German theologian, who was hanged for opposing uh, the Nazis. Do you notice something about the expressions that you see here? Because these are, these are people of a clear conscience. Mm -hmm. They all, to me, look really serious. It doesn't have to be that a clear conscience and confidence have any, are, are, are happy feelings. They are. But there's something much deeper, right? When you know you've done what's right, it's, a, it, it's really the case that everything else is okay. And when you're, when you're tested to see if you'll do what's right, and you pass the test, you're really okay. You really know everything's, everything else is in balance. Everything else has its, has its proper place when that happens. But how do we get there? You know, because we're probably not going to be asked to die for our faith. We may be persecuted for our faith, though. Things are changing. When Alexander Solzhenitsyn was writing, he was in a much, uh, a much worse place of, any, of oppression than anything that's near us. But things are changing. It may be, it may be the case someday that you'll be and I'll be forced or, or not forced. That's the thing. We'll be confronted with a decision to keep a clear conscience and not be ashamed or make the other choice. And it happens in small ways to all of us. Every time as a kid that I was asked, well, your father, I see, you know, reverend's next to your father's name in the phone book. What's that? We, I, I heard you're a Christian. I heard you're a Bible thumper. I heard you're a born-againer. There's always this choice, right? Or when the door's open to maybe help somebody else know the, know the hope of Christ, and maybe we don't want to for some reason. We always have this choice. Choices may get more intense. They seem to be getting more intense. But, but there's, a, there's an answer. We can be ready. We can rise above it. We can live above that fear. We can live above being ashamed. How do, how do, you, how do we know we can live be above being ashamed? What would tell, how can I say, why do I say that? We have a God. Yes. And Paul wouldn't say don't be ashamed if it was impossible, right? He says it over and over again. Don't be ashamed. So how do we get there? Well, we, we, Rich brought to my mind that a lot of what is a lot of what this weekend has been about is this. It's about legacy. And those of you who were here yesterday, a lot of you were here yesterday, we talked a lot about legacy. And it's a real thing. Not everybody, I mean, we were, I was blessed, my brothers and sisters and I were blessed with Christian grandparents, Christian parents. It's a strong legacy. Not everybody, not everybody has that. But we all have a legacy. You know that? 
Spiritually, we all have a legacy. Think about this. It's much bigger, actually, than what we talked about yesterday. We all have a legacy called the great cloud of witnesses. If it, in Hebrews, we, we have the legacy of all of the believers who have gone before us. All, the, all of the Old Testament heroes of faith. All of the New Testament heroes of faith. All of the martyrs. We have a legacy. How do we get a sincere faith? Paul talks about the sincere faith. He was talking about the legacy. The sincere faith that, lives, that lived in your grandmother and your mother and now... Paul was saying, I know lives in you. How do, we get a, how do we get sincere faith? Because if we have sincere faith, it seems that we're seeing in 2 Timothy 1, if we have sincere faith, we can do the rest of what needs to be done. But we have to have sincere faith. So how do we get sincere faith? By following, following your legacy. Following your legacy, not your legacy to... Do a better job than, 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 your, than, than the guy before you at, in your profession did. He gave you a legacy. He taught you how to do it. That's important, but that's, that's not what this is about. That's, that's a different type. We're talking about our spiritual legacy, the legacy of the gospel, what, we were, what, we, what we've been given by those who have gone before us in God's revelation to them, his giving of his word to us, and, and, and the life and sacrifice, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That's the heart of our, of our legacy. When we follow that, we grow in sincere faith, then we're not ashamed. If we're doing that, we're not ashamed. If we stop doing that, we can easily get ashamed. But if we follow that, if we have a sincere faith, being ashamed doesn't go along with a sincere faith. It would then become insincere, it seems. So if we follow our legacy, we have a sincere faith, we're not ashamed, we have a clear conscience... And when we have a clear confidence, conscience, we can be confident. Does that make, does a connection make sense? Yeah. I had never thought about it, at, it in, in just this way until Rich encouraged me to, 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 to do that. And then the, something powerful is happening here because Paul talks about fanning into flame the gift of God, which has been given to you, and living with a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. Power and love and self-discipline as contrasted with timidity. What a picture of opposites. No timidity, power, love, and self-discipline. Something will happen when we, when, we, when we do this, when we follow our spiritual legacy in Christ. When that brings us a sincere faith. And we're not ashamed. And now we have a clear conscience. And now we have confidence. We'll be able, we'll be able to say something. Yes, we will. We will be able to say something. Just I'm going to let it catch up. We'll be able to say that. What Malia read included this. I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. 
Now, when, when, when Paul wrote that statement of confidence, I have an ultimate statement of confidence. I know. Whatever else was coming against you or me, whatever else we're having to deal with as, as, uh, uh, that, that, would keep, that, would, that would erode or attack our, our, our sincere faith, it wasn't worse, and it's not, than what's gone before with the great cloud of witnesses. And Paul actually was in prison awaiting his death when he wrote this. A little later in 2 Timothy, he talks about being poured out as a drink offering. That's all done. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I've kept the faith. He was ready to, he knew he was all, he knew it was over. He had laid it on the line and he knew he was about to die. And as he sat in prison, knowing he was about to die, he said, I know. I know. I know whom I have believed. He was confident. He said he had a clear conscience. Pretty, pretty amazing. I, Rembrandt painted Paul, and I, I, it struck me that he looked, he looked similar in, in, Rembrandt's, uh, in Rembrandt's painting, and it's a, it's, it's, of course, it's Rembrandt's sense of like the weight and the depth of, of Paul in all of this. But it struck me that there's kind of a similarity here in appearance between, between Rembrandt's uh, portrayal and, and, and those pictures of clear conscience that we looked at. Because Paul wasn't defeated. He, he's heavy there. He's facing, he's facing it. But just before he said, I know, what else he said? Yet I am not ashamed. And he was able to say, I know. One, one, more, one more person to think about. And that's, that's this, this person we, we really don't hear much about and probably won't hear much about unless we read 2 Timothy, Anesiphorus. So Anesiphorus was acting similarly to the way Paul was acting. I'll read it, and then we'll quickly connect what I'm, what, why, why I just said that to what it says here in the Bible. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Anesiphorus because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed. He was not, there it is again. He was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. Betsy and Corey Tenboom, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, Maximilian Kolbe, they all had a legacy. And part of that was Anesiphorus. When Anesiphorus went searching for Paul, now he went searching for him, and he searched for him hard, and what happened? He searched for him hard, and he found him. So did he know where Paul was? Well, yeah. He eventually did know where Paul was. He knew Paul was in Rome, Rome was very friendly to Christians, no problem. No. They were being killed. There was a great persecution going on. Anesiphorus didn't need to go to Rome. But he did. He wasn't ashamed. But when he got to Rome, he could have asked around, how's Paul? 
oh, you don't know Paul, no problem. You know, oh, well, well, you know, I'll write to Paul from Ephesus. And Paul, I tried. Um, nobody knew where you were. Sorry. But, you know, he didn't, of course. He, he, he searched hard till he found him. What, kind, what might have happened to us for us? He might have been killed. He knew Paul was, about, Paul was about to die. So here's another example for us of what it, what it looks like. So again, we're, we're get, we have to go on and live our American lives right now. And our tests are really not as, as big as this. But they're big in other ways. They're big for us. Each heart knows its own bitterness. Our tests are our tests, right? So somebody could say to me or to you, well, Paul was in prison. He was about to die. You've got to be ready for that. That would be a mistake because it would take our focus off of the real tests of faith, of sincere faith that we have right now. The great, the great news is that we can know. We can know. Our legacy has been laid out for us in Christ and in his followers. We've seen how it works. We've seen people stand the test and be true. We, ter- we, heard, about, we heard about this. I mean, I, I, we heard about it yesterday in my... In my mom and dad, we see it in Rich and Paula, we see it in Linda, we see it in so many examples right here in this room, and we see it across the Bible, we see it in these, in these 20th century heroes who kept the faith against all odds, even to, their, even to their death. But all of those great examples being what they are, we have our own tests. Each of us individually has our own tests, and they're hard. They're hard because they're ours. We need to start with sincere faith and keep it. The key to, it seems to me, the key to, the, the, the gauge, the sincere faith gauge is am I ashamed of it or not? Am I, am, I, am I the guy who pulls up to the curb with his friend's mom and wants to like just kind of just skitter back into the little house that he's ashamed of? Or do I say, I'm living in the greatest place I can believe because I know what happens here. Sincere faith will show up in that attitude. And it breeds confidence. And it breeds a clear conscience. And when we have that, we say, I know. The last thing is, none of this has to do with our own power or goodness or resilience. It has to do with knowing that he is able to keep that which we've committed to us. The confidence, finally, is, and always, is in God. The confidence that we get is, is, is woven into our sincere faith. It's part of it. It's, it's, it's inseparable from it. That's why in Psalm 27, we read, Though an army besiege me, I will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. I mean, I haven't had it. I haven't had war break out against me. David had, and he wrote that. And that psalm closes with a scripture that my mom really found as bedrock. Because remember how, how she said, you never know? So interesting. Because she could say you never know, 
because she knew. Does that make sense? She would love, she would love that juxtaposition, being, the, being the, the literary person she was. The only way you can really say you never know in a good way, in that way, that powerful way of, we don't know what God's going to do. You never know. Let's be ready for it. Let's wait. I'm not going to give up. I'm, everything's this way, and my heart knows its own bitterness. But you know what? You never know. She could say that because she knew. We can say that because we know. And so, and so she would often go to, to, this, to this summation of it. If it doesn't come up, I'll just... Okay. I had it. Something called being able to read on the spot, right? Um, yeah. Psalm 27, 13, and 14. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. And wait for the Lord. So that's it. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Fear. If war, even if, if war break out against me, even then will I be confident. And I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We don't know how it's going to show up, but, but it will show up. It will be there in the way that we need, each of us needs it, in our own need. And the encouragement then is maybe reread 2 Timothy 1. Because as, as, we, as we recognize, there's a lot going on here. Follow our legacy. Live in sincere faith. And enjoy all that comes with that. Your gift in, your, the gift of God in your life fanned into flame. A spirit of power and love and self-discipline. Clarity of conscience that Paul mentioned at the beginning. And confidence that he who began a good work in you will carry it through to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So let's pray for that to be our, to be, to be our lives as we, uh, as we wrap up. Our Father in heaven, thank you for what you've, what you've given us in your word, and there's, there's more for us to, to learn and, and to, 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 to order our lives by than we than we can do very quickly, but we want to keep trying. So we pray that you will help us each to have sincere faith, to walk, to walk before you with clarity of conscience and in confidence that we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. We thank you that we know we will. In Jesus' name, amen.